Welcome to the Blue Security Podcast, a weekly podcast for information security defenders, where we bring you discussions on best practices, tools, and implementation for enterprise security. Now, here are your hosts for today's show, Andy Ja and Adam Brewer. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Security Podcast. I'm Andy, your host. I'm Adam, your co-host. By now, hopefully you've listened to our episode where we talked about Microsoft's digital defense report. But even before that was released, in the beginning of October, there was something that kind of flew in under the radar, which was Microsoft released a report on how to build a holistic insider risk management program. This was a super interesting read. Sorry it's taken us so long to put together a show about this, but better late than never. Mm -hmm. It was a... 55 page report in total and it was very comprehensive and it was a study that was built on doing a lot of surveys with different companies and then analyzing those results and then building this report to help organizations put together a holistic insider risk program and i think let's just start talking about first why it's important that we look at insider risk microsoft's work trend index in 2022 found that hybrid work is up 38 percent and 53% of people are likely to consider transitioning to hybrid work in the future. Now, that's no surprise. It's continuing to be more hybrid, people working from home, and that aligns with a lot of the data that we have seen over the last few years. What's important is two-thirds of the folks who were in that survey highly agreed that data theft or data destruction from departing employees is a form of insider risk that is becoming more commonplace. And I think if you're in the information security space and you're a security leader or a practitioner or a CISO, you're probably nodding your head and getting that uneasy feeling because this is something that is very hard to deal with. It is often lower on the security maturity scale and something that gets pushed down, kind of like how information protection, you know, there's always like things that pop up that are more important and insider risk can get a little bit more invasive into like employee privacy and all of that. So it's difficult. It's a difficult conversation to have. And it's a very difficult program. And a lot of organizations don't know where to start. I like the, you can tell we've hung out together a lot, Andy, because I always talk about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and comparing it to information security where something else always bubbles up higher. And you used information protection as the example I used to always give with customers is that, you know, they'd say, well, are a lot of companies doing this? And the answer is always, no, not really, because something else comes up that's always more important. And because it's such a multidisciplinary thing to do, it's not just IT or InfoSec acting alone. It requires you to work with business partners across the organization. It's harder to implement. And I think this is kind of like that too, right? Whereas you need partnership across the organization to do an insider risk management program. I think the other thing as well, to use a different analogy, if you kind of recall back to the days when like Hold'em Poker was all the rage in like the mid 2000s, and it was on TV all of the time and ESPN broadcasting the World Series of Poker and people would watch it on TV and they'd get this false perception of how to be a winning poker player. They would watch it and think it was all these big hands with these, you know, pushing your pile all in and doing a maximum bet and going against the other guy and getting heads up and seeing who win the hand and, and all these like big showdowns. And in reality, playing Hold'em is folding a lot of hands. You fold a lot of the time because most of the cards you dealt are trash and you shouldn't play them or see a flop unless it's really cheap. And I think InfoSec is like that in the way that we want to think like it's all, oh, it's, you know, the hackers sitting there, you know, getting a zero day and breaking into 
your system and using all these exploits and getting super clever and you need, you know, intrusion detection and SIM and all this. And it's like a lot of your information leakage, your data protection incidents, data privacy incidents, I mean, happen inadvertently, or maybe even like in a malicious insider and you're not set up to detect that. Just like a lot of bad guys, you know, there's, there's a new saying you hear a lot right now is that the bad guys don't break in, they log in, they use legitimate credentials and it makes them hard to detect as well. And so I think this goes back to, as we adjust our mindset to the actual threats that exist, we have to recognize that just like to be a winning Hold'em poker player, you actually have to fold a lot of hands. And a lot of the time you may bet after the flop comes out and everyone folds and you take a small pot and you can just do that repeatedly and you can build a big stack that way. Having a successful InfoSec program isn't always red team, blue team, defending against zero days, you know, vulnerabilities, exploits. It's literally somebody who has access to a thing taking it either because they didn't realize what they were doing or they were being malicious. And, you know, you're over here focused on all these super exciting things, these, you know, pair of aces versus, you know, pair of ace king offsuit or whatever. And instead it's way more boring than that. Yeah. And we're going to get into this a little bit more, but insider risk is a balance between doing some things to essentially check up on your employees and using some tooling, but also largely it's building a culture of trust because ultimately, especially malicious insider risk, and maybe you can't prevent all malicious insider risk, but definitely some of it can be prevented by fostering a culture, a good culture at your company to build that employee-employer relationship. We'll talk about that more, but just know that, you know, it, it can't be all just big brother checking on things, but it also, you can't just abandon all the tooling and just try to, you know, make it a happy-go-lucky place. So it's a, it's a balance of both. That's a really good point because we just had something come up in my team chat at work and the details of it are irrelevant, but the very short version is my response to this person was, sure, we could sell a technological solution to the problem, but we're using technology to solve what's an HR problem, right? right? And it's something different than this, but I think it's a really good point. We tend to want to go to the technological solution right away. And a lot of the times that can be made unnecessary or minimize the amount of times we use it by creating good culture, by creating culture that runs on trust and engenders trust between employees and organizational like, and so that the people who work for you, they have skin in the game. They want the company to be successful. They're invested. And in return, you invest in them. That creates a culture where insider risk is much less likely to happen than when you create an adversarial relationship. So that's a really good point that, I mean, like step one of insider risk is to reduce the risk of it happening by creating great culture. Now, the impacts of insider risk, according to this report, are not just financial. In fact, one of the highest impacts of insider risk was brand and reputational damage. Of course, the theft of intellectual property is also a damaging towards the company, but I thought that brand and reputational damage being that high was an interesting bullet point as far as monetary cost of course like when there is insider risk there's definitely the potential for high financial cost against the company and in fact the study that microsoft did here said that the average cost was around five hundred thousand dollars for a single event with an average of 20 events per year and this study included respondents from small medium size as well as large businesses so across the board a very good sample size so i mean the larger enterprises may have skewed the cost a little bit higher, but the average across the board was about 
half a million dollars. Now, challenges of an insider risk, we've already kind of alluded to that. The biggest one that a lot of respondents alluded to or, or responded to was the infringement on employee privacy rights and civil liberties, as well as undermining employee trust. And of course, when you're doing those negative types of reinforcement of using the tools, checking up on them, maybe emailing them and be like, hey, we saw this behavior or you limit their behavior in some way, like you see a mass download or a mass upload to a certain area, you know, maybe a cloud storage that you don't use. And then you cut that off. And the employee, of course, notices that it could be for legitimate purposes. It may not be, but either way, now they know, okay, oh, InfoSec or compliance or whoever is checking up on me. And that puts employees in that adversarial position of not liking the security department or the security and compliance department. And so that's the biggest challenge that most organizations face. I think you have to make it to where it's built in. Like it's just a, a part of operations. I know someone who works for a credit union and because of their access to some of the financial tools, they're actually required, like literally required to take time off as a control to ensure that if they were doing some sort of funny business, it would be detectable when they would not have access for a certain length of time or they'd be unavailable. And I think stuff like that isn't necessarily adversarial. Like we don't trust you. It's just like, this is just a control of doing business. And we apply this equally to everyone at every level of the company, you know, or, or whatever your case may be, right? There's ways to modify that, but create a system where it doesn't come off like, well, we're checking up on these people. It's, we have a shared culture of having those checks and balances in place and they're not personal at all. It's just to create a culture of trust, right? And that's where certainly it does have a checking up on someone like behavior, but it, it definitely isn't singling out a particular role or a particular person, it really is more as universal as possible. And I think something like that can be done in a way that isn't detrimental to culture and trust. There was this whole section on hiring and retaining dependable personnel. And of course, when you say that, it's very easy. But I understand that hiring and retaining folks at your company is one of the most difficult things mm -hmm. that there is. I mean, when you go through an interview, you're getting a snapshot of that person versus, you know, daily work and trying to actually get a feel for who that person is in just a short amount of time. So of course, that's one of the bullets and it's not trivial, but when they talked about this, I found this particular statement super fascinating, which was you want to make sure that the folks who are most likely to abuse or leak data are not themselves responsible for investigating potential insider risks. And so when Microsoft asked folks as part of the survey to rate the level of risk they associate with various departments and business groups, IT, the department who is most often tasked with detecting and remediating insider risk, was also the most commonly associated with being being at risk for insider risk with 60% seeing IT as high risk. So that's obviously a bad thing. Like the folks who are at the highest risk of being susceptible to insider risk are also the ones who are in charge of role-based access to the data, doing the insider risk investigations, have access to the usernames and information and data associated with those folks. And so that's a tough thing because this is sometimes a technical tool. If, if the tooling is managed by IT, you're going to have folks who are in charge of that. Second on the list by a long shot at 48% was finance and accounting 
and then operations, and then breaking into the top five with senior leadership and research and development. So I know if you're thinking about what departments, I think that's fairly common across the board, but yeah, IT was number one by a long shot. Well, there's literally a a very high grossing film about insider risk. It's called Jurassic Park (laughs) with, you know, an IT insider risk threat, right? Where not only was the insider attempting to steal IP, but also endangered the lives of others through their actions and, you know, took the whole system offline. I mean, literally it's an insider risk story. So that makes sense. And I think most people have some sort of parable or story, if not in their direct working life, in a close relative's working life where someone in IT has done something malicious or has, you know, hurt the organization in some way. I mean, less so today. I think that's gotten better as there's been more checks and balances, but it makes sense. And it is a good point to where you need that separation of duties. And that goes back to, you know, you let off early on, Andy, about information protection being one of those things that is very hard to get implemented, A, because other things bubble up that are perceived to be more important. And then I added the color that it's also the fact that it's a multidisciplinary implementation in that you have to involve other people like legal legal, risk and compliance that aren't necessarily technologists. And it's not just a technology problem. In fact, like Microsoft information protection is one example, doesn't have that many like controls, like that many buttons to push and levers to pull. It's mostly a, a pretty straightforward technical implementation. It's aligning that with your organization's taxonomy. It's getting buy-in, it's change management, it's leadership leading by example that creates a successful information protection program and instead of risk management, obviously, you know, IT is at tremendous risk of it. And so you need to have maybe somebody else watching them, right? Yeah. So in the study, if you read through it, and I do highly recommend you read through it, the report is not gated by any emails or anything. There's a direct link to it. You can download it, you can read it, but Microsoft developed what's called a holistic insider risk management index. And that measures how holistic your program is based on some integrations of people, process, tooling, and training. And there's three phases that they've referred to in this report. You start off in the fragmented phase. And then as you move up the index, the next one is evolving. And then finally, you'd be considered holistic if you get to that final phase. And there were five key characteristics of a holistic insider risk management program. The first one is to prioritize employee trust, productivity, and privacy controls. Microsoft found that a holistic approach incorporates transparency and employee engagement around data risk. And that can help ease any hit to productivity. Also, holistic organizations established a lot of privacy controls, which help build employee confidence in the privacy program, as well as folks who are managing the programs. And privacy controls are something like establishing multi-level security approvals before conducting an insider risk investigation, additional auditing into the activities of those users conducting an insider risk investigation, role-based access controls, limiting who in the security team can view that data and then username anonymization or pseudo anonymization where the security team doesn't know who the user is that they are investigating so they may see the behavior or may see an alert to something but they will not know exactly who that user is another one which again 
this is a lot of what we've talked about, but this was a key finding is that you need to attain program buy-in and involvement across the organization. That is very, very important. So holistic organizations have buy-in at the highest level and they have it across the entire company. Now, what they found is with most organizations, if you're starting off in a fragmented or you know in the evolving state, you will have IT and security departments leading the way, but then there's a sharp drop-off in the departments that are involved whereas like the holistic ones will have high involvement across the board and you know some of them that we've talked about are security compliance hr legal but then of course operations right the business as well needs to have buy-in on this program so having buy-in extremely important is one of the key findings of the report makes a lot of sense i've referenced that several times tonight already is that for programs like this you have to have that multidisciplinary buy-in so there's a cool chart in the report. So as you read it and review it, you'll be able to, to know what Andy's talking about. But the difference between organizations with holistic insider risk versus not is pretty staggering. I mean, as an example, just to use one, for a holistic insider risk program, legal is involved in 74% of those versus in a fragmented, which is kind of the least mature level of insider risk, legal's in 20%. I mean, so, you know, that's almost a 4x difference in legal's involvement as an example. So that shows you that you've got to get those other teams involved, operations, legal, HR, to have a really successful effort. Yeah, and I'm going to just use another anecdotal example for the previous one where we talked about privacy controls, like RBAC controls for the security Mm -hmm. team. Compliance, you know, and insider risk investigations is that gray line. If you ever go to like a compliance like session at a security conference, you're actually going to see a mix of different types of people. It's not just like your security folks. You're you're going to see people from a compliance department. You may see people from legal. You may see people from HR. And so it's it's a mixed bag. And often the people who are responsible for that may not be the security folks. One example at my one of my previous organizations. While we did have the technical means to grant the compliance administrator role within Microsoft 365, we did not use that or have it assigned to the security team all the time because we didn't need it all the time. The only time that we used compliance administrator was when we got a request from HR or from legal to do an investigation or to provide them with data, like an export of a PST file that was for an ongoing litigation, then we would elevate ourselves using privilege identity management to compliance administrator, which is an audible event. And you can put in a reason, you know, so-and-so from HR, from legal, here's the case number, put that all in the notes and it's all transparent. You don't have that capability all the time. Not to say that when you do export, you know, emails or do some sort of lookup that that's not there. It is. Anytime you do that within Microsoft 365, if you're looking up someone's email within the compliance portal, it is going to be there. You have to put in a search criteria or e-discovery case, but it's just even more transparent when you don't have the role all the time. You're only escalating when you have a specific request from another department that is actually doing the investigation. We're just providing the data and we're not even looking at it. The third key finding was to have effective training and education. So the study found that most organizations that were holistic 
we're able to detail the importance and impact of insider risk on the company, employees, and job security. And so that helps justify the steps that are being taken to mitigate the risk to the folks who are taking the training. And then the compliance program or the insider risk program, folks who are managing the program, they're able to evangelize the program, increase awareness around protecting sensitive information from going to competitors, inappropriate data leaks, or inadvertent data sharing. And then getting employees to sit through and meaningfully engage with data protection and compliance training education, that may be difficult, but the study found that the more often it was conducted, the more engaging the employees became. And so it worked better when it happened with higher frequency. Makes sense. You know, it's one of those things where it may not resonate the first time, but through repetition, you can create resonance in an employee's mind. And just even talking about the insider risks you're wanting to avoid organizationally, preventing sensitive information from going to competitors, inappropriate data leaks, inadvertent data sharing, just drawing attention to them helps people avoid them because they know what to avoid. If you don't share that, they may not understand. And especially as we move to models like OneDrive or Google Drive or whatever your org uses, you know, that operates more on a, a single document model that I'm going to share with people, explaining that there's the risk of oversharing there. And so to be conscientious about whom you share with, really, really helpful. And another thing too, I think sometimes people don't even know what insider risk might look like, what some of those events are. And again, not that our employer is solved all of this. But one thing Microsoft does super duper well, we have this annual training called the Standards of Business Conduct or SBC. And it's shot almost like a Netflix series with a cast of characters who've now been there for many, many years. And it's super engaging. And in the most recent year's season, the Microsoft people were working with folks who were governmental employees, or maybe like uh, working with like a pseudo governmental organization. The details don't matter. But the point was they had been offered by like a vendor, tickets to go to a, a concert that was like very exclusive and very, very um, expensive if those tickets had been sold on the open market. And that was maybe an inappropriate thing to accept those tickets and go to the show. And it, it was just very resonant in my mind of, wow, you know, when you give these real examples, it moves from like, we'll make sure you're not accepting gifts from, you know, that could be considered improper. Like I know that conceptually, but seeing examples of how easy that happens and that you really have to stop and think about them made it more real. And I think with a lot of insider risk things, the more education we do, if we can create that, again, for inadvertent examples that stop and think, that really, really helps cut it right there. And education and repetition help us get there. We've kind of alluded to this before, but the fourth key finding was to use positive deterrence more often rather than negative. And negative deterrence, again, are deterrence that are when your organization practices things that are checking up on the employees or constraining their behavior, you know, those types of things that feel negative. Whereas positives, those things are like morale events, more detailed onboarding, ongoing training, upward feedback, or work-life balance programs. And Microsoft found that organizations that rank higher on their insider risk index often utilized more positive deterrent programs rather than less of them. So there was a chart in there. I think it was like the holistic ones had like four or more, whereas the ones that were fragmented had, you know, two or less. And so that goes to show the folks that are creating a positive culture, a positive environment, the ones that have stronger employee to employer relationships, that 
mitigates insider risk. Now, it doesn't solve it completely, but it certainly reduces the chances. You know, a happy employee is probably less likely to do something malicious against the company than someone who is unhappy. Seems like a Captain Obvious thing, but there are examples throughout time of where positive reinforcement is more successful than negative reinforcement. I mean, Andy, you know, as a parent, positive reinforcement is way more powerful tool than a negative reinforcement tool. And so it sounds like a captain obvious thing, but I think organizations struggle with this. And again, you know, there's countless internet memes of, I love the meme. It's the flex tape guy and he's slapping the flex tape on the the water leak. And, you know, I've seen multiple variations of this of like employee morale low, and then he slaps the tape on and the meme says pizza party. And like, you know, there are cheesy things that don't really build morale and you know a foosball table like maybe avoid those money always helps not gonna lie (laughs) pay your people more give them equity give them skin in the game like that's super helpful i i will say me personally i never had equity in the company until i came to microsoft and that's really game changing for your mindset and i know that's not possible in all cases and all that but gosh having legit skin in the game of the company's success really does help drive and play engagement. I'm just saying. So, you know, maybe less pizza parties and more meaningful feedback cycles, meaningful upward mobility, ways to grow in the company, hiring from within whenever possible, creating a culture of longevity and mutual and respectful growth together. Boy, that builds a lot deeper roots than anything else. It's funny because, I mean, this is an information security security podcast and insider risk is very much an information security issue but all these things you know like we talked about is really not a whole lot of responsibility that information security can or influence i mean we can have influence on these but these programs are not ones that we would be in charge of so this does take senior leadership within information security to reach across and work with the businesses work with hr to develop these things because you know those folks need to understand the risk to the company if they don't do it right you know as we talk about these things i just think it's really interesting because i'm thinking about it if i was at a company let's do things to improve morale like maybe give people more time off or raises or make a program to cross train into different areas so that you you can be more prepared to hire from within i mean those are all things that we're not in charge of but they're definitely good suggestions it's a really good point that and i think we do a lot of that on this show andy is that if you want to be like the matrix operator with the green lines of code i always imagine like like Sims look like the Matrix. I know they don't, but you know, with just logs flowing past all the time and you're looking there and you're like, aha, there's the red team. I caught them. There are roles like that for people. You know, if you want to clock in and you want to look at events all day and try to track things, absolutely, you can do that. And that is great. We need you. We need defenders. But it proves the point that if you want to move into InfoSec leadership or you want to broaden your career or you want to have opportunities to do different things, It shows you how that ability to create partnership across departments, to bring multiple stakeholders together, to communicate effectively, to persuade others, to work together with you in a common best interest, to think about things beyond just information security, but other maybe, you know, quote unquote, soft ways of improving InfoSec, that can help you a lot in your career as well. And both are valid. Absolutely. We need hardcore defenders who can spot the needle in the haystack in logs and code. Please, we need you. But at the same time, we also need people who can bring organizations together and help that rising tide lift all the ships. So the final key finding is integrate tool usage, which 
of course, as technologists, as folks in IT, we can't do our job without at least somewhat integrating the technical part of it. And so this is the key finding here is, you know, there were four points on kind of building that program, building trust, reaching across the aisle. But now, of course, you have to integrate tooling. And so there are a lot of different tools. There was a list of, you know, ones that a lot of companies have built into their security stack, like EDR, NDR, which is network detection and response, privilege access management, user activity monitoring, incident threat management. So all of these things, you know, you start building your security stack and then trying to get those signals. And what Microsoft found was they learned that there were scenarios that warranted more or less tool usage. And so the more scenarios that were in place, the more holistic your program is. They found Fragmented companies are less likely to have scenario-based triggering events around things such as probationary periods, seniority in organizational charts, high-risk project involvement. Scenario-based triggering events can mean detecting when specific users take specific actions, like when an organizational leader access, downloads, or exfiltrates particular sensitive files, confidential IP, or revenue forecasts. And so when you build your policies around these triggering events, they can help you define when and how investigations take place, and it will reduce the potential for system abuse by an insider risk investigator. Now, negative deterrence is probably always going to be needed since some insiders will act out no matter what, you know, no matter how well your company is run, no matter how culturally supportive the environment is, just due to a number of different things, you will probably always have that determined malicious person. If they're determined to do something, they're going to do it. So there is always going to be some negative deterrence tooling that's required, but it's that combination of negative deterrence and positive deterrence that will build that holistic program. And ultimately, this is a quote from Brett Arsenal, who is Microsoft's CISO. He said, establishing a holistic insider risk program is all about building trust. And that means collaborating across functions, increasing employee training and awareness, having strong privacy controls so that employees feel respected and invested. He said it's critical for organizations to address insider risk, but it's just as important that they do it in the right way. The best risk managed programs aren't focused on constraining employee behavior. They're focused on building trust, balancing security and privacy, and educating and empowering their workforce. So I think that really sums it up and hopefully gives kind of a good guide or an idea of where companies can start because it's really not all about the technological constraints that you can put in place or the controls that you can put in place, but it's really about building that employee trust and starting you know, from there and going forward. Give Brett the mic drop. That's perfect. So hopefully this episode gives folks a good place to start. A lot of these things, they really just involve looking at other portions of the company. And hopefully it's not like you're thinking like, oh, there's nothing I can do, but you can at least you know reach out and say, hey, you know, start having those conversations, building those relationships in other parts of your organization to start building that employee trust. So hopefully this was a good episode for you guys to listen to. The link to the report will be in the show notes. If you guys have any questions or you want to read it for yourself, that's our show for this week. Thanks as always for watching and listening. Our contact information will be in the show notes if you have any questions or topics you want us to talk about in the future. Thanks. We'll talk to you guys next week.
Thank you for listening to the Blue Security Podcast. Please check out the show notes, catch up on episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Find Andy on Twitter at AJawZero and Adam at AJ Brewer. See you at our next episode.